There was so much more, <laughs> but that was that was that was really the rancid cherry on the awful garbage Sunday. I mean, uh, at, at Riskin, while you know everyone I've ever spoken to at Muni, and that's a lot of people, so that Riskin is a decent man, a good human being, a hardworking man, someone who has real skill. You know, he he wasn't a transit expert to get that job. He was his expert is in management. Because uh, he'd run, he'd run the three one one center, and then he also ran the P, I believe the PUC. Uh, yeah, so so he has a, you know a, a, he has a history of managing organizations, but he wasn't a transit expert, and you know that showed. Uh, there is a long history of, of self harm performance from the San Francisco Municipal Transit Agency. Uh, a long, long, long history of that, and you know I mean where do you want me to begin? It's probably not good. Oh my God, I haven't. I wasn't even on the air. Okay, <laughs> all right, uh, Joe. Uh, sorry um, for all of you who. Uh, sorry about that. For all of you who were listening, um, we were actually covering uh, the. Uh, we were talking about uh, the Muni boss uh, on uh, on April 29th. San Francisco Municipal Transit Agency boss Ed Riskin submitted his resignation. Uh, it followed a 10-hour subway failure days before, but. Uh, um, you know, I'm here with managing editor Joe Eskenazi, and we're wondering if there was uh, anything more to Ed Riskin's resignation. And you're probably hearing Joe talk about it as he uh, was shuffling around. Uh, where Where are you right now, Joe? Me, I am on Sickles, uh, in uh, in the far southeast of San Francisco. Are you uh, Were you planning on riding Muni today? Uh, no, I'm planning on riding my bicycle today. Uh, I I either ride the bus or or take my bicycle, and uh, and today looks like a bike. Um, well, that's great. Well, for all of you, apologies. You know, we had a bit of a technical uh, breakdown, and so you know, I feel a bit for uh, Ed Riskin, who uh, had to deal with a much more complicated system than I've had to deal with today uh, at this radio station. Um, but. Uh, we were uh, Joe and I were having a conversation and wondering if there was any more to the Muni boss's downfall, um, which which happened on April 29th. Uh, Joe, uh, could you just tell us a little bit more again uh, what uh, exactly uh, you know was it just this 10-hour failure? No, not not by a tremendous long shot. Uh, you know, I mean, he there was a there was a lot there was a lot of uh, of uh, of turmoil this summer right around the Twin Peaks tunnel. Yes, I mean, like you could say things started even before that, but but that was you know that was something that did not endear Ed Riskin to Mayor London Breed, who's his new boss. And in fact, let's let's look historically, Julian. No Muni Transit director has ever uh, survived a mayoral change uh, for the long term. They always go out. 
You know, positions like that change, like chief of police, like fire uh, chief. Those positions change. Now, but but did ha, did they have they changed for anybody else? I know that the you know the uh, the fire chief stepped down, but was it because of a changing of the guard? Well, she was retiring, but I okay. mean, like just I'm talking through the course of the city. Sure, sure, the city sure. History. Mm-hmm. You know, Nat Ford went out under Ed Lee. Hmm. You know, um, these are at will positions, and so you know people tend to start looking around when when the mayor changes, and then that kind of exacerbates the whole situation. Well, if you're looking around, are you committed to this job? You know, that kind of thing. Right. In this particular case, uh, Ed was a, Ed, Ed is a very decent man. He is well-liked. He, he is respected because he's a decent, hardworking city bureaucrat. You know, uh, in another capacity, he could have been very, very effective. His expertise is in management. His expertise was not in transit, and that got the better of him. And it got the better of him for a long time. And, you know, if you actually depend upon uni service and you ride the bus, you, you probably have been disgruntled for quite some time. Uh, it became a situation that couldn't be ignored anymore uh, over the summer. And then subsequently with that 10-hour muni uh, metro uh, down uh, uh, stoppage, that actually seemed to rile people up more than last summer's intentional kneecapping of the system because that was clandestine. Can you, can you and, just describe a little bit what you mean by intentional kneecapping of the system? Yes, I can. So when the planned uh, uh, repairs for the 100-year-old Twin Peaks Tunnel uh, came into play, the tunnel was closed for two months. In order to make up service for that, buses and trains were uh, put in, sorry, buses were put into service to ferry would-be train passengers. What, it was all very well publicized that the train tunnel was going to be closed. Rather, it was publicized, not that well publicized. What was objectionable was that the buses being pulled out of regular service to make up for the train, uh, the trains that were grounded? No one mentioned anything about this. That no, there was no notification whatsoever that buses would be pulled off the 38 or the 14. And and the 38 and the 14 are or the very 49 or or the 44, like like big lines. Big lines. The 38, yeah. 38 and the 14, and uh, are your big lines. The eight was. Particularly impacted. So basically, you have like service cuts of a third or more. You know, even in the direst years of uh, the recession, when Muni was really scraping by uh, a decade ago under Nat Ford, uh, he proposed and, and enacted 10% service cuts. And that was seen as a calamity. And, and that was something that was well debated and done very uh, publicly in light of day. Uh, so to have behind the scenes clandestine 33, 35, 38% service cuts is a big, big deal. And so that's an objectionable thing to do, and not telling anybody about it is an objectionable thing to do. Now, was that just incompetence, or was it nefarious in any way, or what was what was going I on there? the answer to your question, as is so often the case, is yes. I think that this was a <laughs> bad way to handle the situation. This was a predictable outcome that could have been prepared for years before. There were memos in Muni uh, that were unearthed by Joe Fitz and Gerald Rodriguez back to 2017. They knew there was a driver shortage, and they knew that they had to repair this tunnel because it's from the World War One era, so this is a this is a situation where you can see the cliff when you're coming to it. So uh, they did not prepare, and so the solution, in quotes, was to just you know backfill without telling anybody by sucking buses and trains off of Muni's uh, trunk lines. Now, it was, it's a terrible solution. So and, you know what's most objectionable of all is that you know Muni has such a hyperbolically bad reputation, which is annoying because it's not as bad as it's 
you know, put upon entitled critics claim, but they hid behind that terrible reputation and in, and in doing so justified it. Yeah. So, OK, now, I mean, th all of that sounds really bad. I, why? Why wasn't he out then? Because it's it takes a lot to lose your job in San Francisco. <laughs> and, you know, uh, you could point the finger for that decision at a number of media officials. Uh, I, I would say the primary architect was John Haley, who used to be Muni's transit boss. Remember, Ed Riskin runs the organization, but he's he's like the head coach of a football team. Uh, imagine Haley being the offensive coordinator. Right. So, you know, if, if, you know, why, why is the team keep running this terrible play? Like, well, that's on the offensive coordinator. So, you know, there's, there's ways to, uh, to CYA on this one. There's but even John Haley, it wasn't, he didn't step, he didn't, uh, fall because, uh, no, he, he was, he was yeah. bounced not because of transit decisions, but because he was sued, uh, by an underling who claimed sexual harassment and now has subsequently been sued by a second underling who claims, uh, discrimination. Uh, sexual discrimination. Right. So that's what loses you your job in San Francisco. Uh, not not inconveniencing hundreds of thousands of riders a day. Well, so apparently it does, right? I mean, apparently it has to be so well, bad. Builds, and London Bridge was upset about this. You know, right. London Bridge, you know, for all the talk of, of, you know, people hide behind, I want someone from the city, I want someone who grew up here, etc., uh, as opposed to managerial excellence. But growing up in the city, I think London Bridge understands the role of Muni very well, and it wasn't lost upon her who was inconvenienced. Uh, as, as the woman you quoted in your recent story put it, it ain't the gentry riding Muni. Right. Inconveniencing all the regular workaday people who just want to get to that meeting on time. You know, and once you... If Muni's not a reliable source of transit, if it fails often enough that people can't rely on it, they won't take it in the first place. So that was building. But, I mean, there was stuff before that, lots of stuff that showed not a firm grasp on the tiller from Ed, who, again... A nice and good and decent and hardworking man. That yeah, right. Got by for a long time because he was a nice and good and decent and hardworking man. I mean, didn't you? I mean, isn't there sort of? I don't know if it's a rumor or, or something that you know he's he's not yes, he's not unwealthy, like but he also he but he like wears like secondhand yes, yes, suits. Ed Riskin, Ed Riskin does wear secondhand suits as a matter of principle, and they're too big on him, and he looks like David Byrne, and it and it's like an aesthetic, an aesthetic <laughs> thing, you know. It's 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 strange because you know I make a, a fraction of what the Muni Transit Director makes, and my suits fit. So I don't get it. I, <laughs> you know, I, you know, and if, if you're going to buy secondhand suits, you can go to a tailor and throw home some business. That would be appreciated, right? Were, you know, so, were you or any other, you know, great, you know, uh, just great enterprise reporter in this city, uh, were you able to figure out why, why this, why he did this? Was it, I mean, what, what do you mean by a matter of principle? It's just a principle for him. You know, it's like recycling bottles or, or bringing your bags to the, uh, to the grocery store. I see. And, then, and, you know, the transit director makes $300,000 a year. So, I mean, he could dress with the Armani suits, but it's just not his style. Right. What I don't get is why he doesn't have them tailored. But that's neither here nor there. I think that it fit his idiom. I think that that, you know, it, he was a humble guy and this was his humble guy uniform. And that's fine. Uh, and, you know, nobody should attack Ed Riskin's character. And nobody should attack Ed Riskin's, um, you know, commitment. But at some point, the transit director has to direct transit. And, you know, that was a problem here. So this is something that, you know, we've we've talked about before, um, you know, around around the office. And, I, and I'm wondering, you know, uh, if the next person is also kind of walking into a bit of um, 
uh, I don't want to make a mixed metaphor here, but, you know, is also, you know, kind of being set up for failure. I mean, is, you know, Muni is yes, a notoriously course. crappy system. Without a doubt. Right. But nobody cares until you do something spectacularly and dazzlingly bad. You know, mm. you could be a journalist with a bad reputation, bring it back into Armaloo, and be someone who's, you know, has, has a, a bad history. But then if you send a terrible, awful, sexist tweet, which is bad but not as bad as like you know bad job performance or something like that that's going to cost you more you publicly screwed up you screwed up in uh, you know right in everyone's face in an unignorable way and that's what the 10-hour uni transit uh, uh meltdown was it was an extremely public meltdown right you know it was it was something that couldn't be ignored uh fewer people were harmed than uh the summer's um you know uh debacle and what's and it was a more understandable thing you know a wire went out and transit service went down it was it was not you didn't need to bring in a shooter from the grassy knoll to understand how this worked right <laughs> uh but you know that that cost him more because it was you know people just you know wave their fists and say god damn muni and and that's a bad look for the city and it embarrasses the mayor now this mayor is running for re-election she's running more or less unopposed it's not in london breed's interest to come out there as a firebrand and start, you know, firing everybody and, and making, you know, huge changes. You didn't vote for London Breed because you wanted things to change dramatically in the city. You voted for her because you like London Breed, because you, you know, in some ways think things are, are not calamitous in this city. If you'd voted for Mark Leno, you want to change, right? Right, right. But so, so London Breed has not, this is the first department head that she's pushed out. And, you know, look at um, this is the first department head that London Reed has pushed out, and he would have, if everything would have been fine for him. You know, I think that he was all but certainly on his way out anyway, but they had to publicly say he's going after that transit, you know, after the Friday transit. So, so it sounds like it sounds like wh whoever will be coming in next, and I guess they have initiated some, uh, you know, a national search, and who I guess Best are good. Best and the brightest, man. Best and the brightest. Um, I mean, what, what is, you know, what do we want? I mean, do we want somebody who just averts these, you know, these major disasters? Do we want somebody who's going to improve the already, you know, obsolete and problematic transit system? Do we want, I mean, you know, who do we, what do we, what do we want to value in, in somebody who's taking on this, you know, uh, you know, almost an albatross of, you know, of sorts of a, of a city department? Everyone says they want a visionary, but they don't really. They just want someone who's not going to embarrass them. Right. You know, I mean, like, uh, maybe it's been allowed to fester for a long time. And, uh, and so, you know, if you're just hopping in the action because of this embarrassing public Friday uh, tunnel shutdown, uh, that's, that's incredibly reactionary behavior, and it doesn't reflect well on us. I mean, there are lots of things that you can do in this city to improve transit. And not all of them are costly. I mean, to, to hey Joe, hey Joe, you're you're breaking up a little bit. Are you uh are you in a bad spot? Um, I'm I'm uh, southeast of San Francisco. Can you hear me now? Um, let's see if I can turn the. My, everything is uh everything is is up. Yeah, I, I'm. I, it's a little bit better. Let me go inside. So, you know, it's there are a lot of things we can do. There are a lot of things we can do, but some of them are. Politically costly, if not monetarily costly. 
Right, right, right. You would, you know, for example, you, uh, you and you were recently at a meeting where the mass of the community is on display over the idea of that if there are large forms of transportation that want things to go back to 1957, that everyone can drive to their Cadillac Bel Air and get out and buy their groceries and drive blocks down the road to buy their clothes and drive blocks down the road to buy you know, whatever they want to buy. That doesn't fit in with the modern conception of how a city should work. Right. Uh, especially when you have an Uber or a Lyft driver steering in and out and blocking bus that has 140 people. So, uh, you know, that's that's something you could you could speed up transit measurably by putting, you know, more transit lanes throughout the city. You could, you could speed up transit measurably by getting people to block them. That's something that does not cost a lot of money, but, but the cost of people have to great. That's not something that the mayor is right going to propose to do before the election. The same way I'm sure she didn't want to dump at her city before the election. You know, uh, Hey Joe, you're 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 just barely audible. I'm wondering if you're able to uh, modify uh, your setup a little bit so we can hear you a little bit better. All right, let me talk into the. Uh, can you hear me now? Oh, much better. Okay. So there's lots of things that you can do to improve transit. You can you can for one thing, San Francisco has a, a, a supposed transit first initiative. That's a cruel joke. You know, that's like saying that we're a, a, a hill's last city. You know, uh, that's that's ridiculous. The city has never been transit first. The city has always deferred to cars, and it's now um, coddling uh, illegal uh, <laughs> Uber and Lyft, uh, you know, uh, outfits that, that that thumb their nose at regulation. Well, that was something that Briskin actually was, um, you know, yeah, intent so is, on, yeah. you know, not eradicating, but curbing for sure or holding but to account. help? I mean, can you say that it really helped? I mean, Ed Riskin endeared himself to many uh, people in city government who were not fans of uh, the move fast, break things tech sector by refusing, <laughs> refusing to engage with them. Right. But by right, refusing right. to engage with these scofflaw, you know, white collar criminals, they are allowed to kind of make their own, uh, uh, you know, decisions. Uh, it, you know, by refusing to engage with them on where you can and cannot pick people up, uh, they'll just do it anywhere, wherever they want. And then as soon as people get accustomed to it, you know, then suddenly you have a constituency of useful idiots that will show up and, and advocate for you whenever there's a public hearing. So, you know, that's that's a problem. You know, Ed Riskin was principled there. And that, by the way, is something that that uh, did not endear him to the mayor. Uh, but it didn't help, you know. Right, right. Well, you know, on the same day, actually, um, that uh, Reskin submitted his resignation, I believe uh, Marie Harrison, uh, among the first to sound the alarm um, on the uh, radioactive Hunter's Point shipyard, died at 71 years old. Um, Joe, you wrote a story about that, um, and you wrote, uh, you talked to a number of her, um, allies, uh, in, in that fight. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me, you know, what you, uh, what you discovered about Marie Harrison. I got a lot of calls after that story, even from people that were often, uh, lined up against Marie Harrison or, or if not against her, uh, weren't moving as quickly as she would have wanted them to move. And they respected her, uh, immensely. Uh, they, they felt she was a San Francisco original and, you know, and just, a you know, um, just an amazing woman. Uh, what Marie Harrison was, was, uh, a crusader for environmental justice in the city's, uh, far Southeast in Bayview Hunters Point. And that includes, you know, now most notably, um, the radioactive shipyard, which she was, uh, telling people about decades ago, 
but also the power plants that she agitated to get shut down. And it's not a coincidence that people in that part of the city have more cancer and have more asthma and die younger. Um, you know, in addition to um, uh, elements of, of violent crime that people, you know, um, justifiably or not associate with that part of the city, I think, you know, uh, maybe just as violent and certainly just as violating uh, is the environmental degradation that was allowed to happen there that would never have been permitted in other parts of the city. And you can draw your own conclusions as to why that was allowed to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, this would have been an issue. Um, I, I wonder how much she contributed to the public's awareness, you know, now recent awareness. I know that you mentioned in your article that it's not covered enough, um, that this problem is because it doesn't affect, you know, every every neighborhood in the city, you know, it's easy to turn a blind eye to it. But I, it's, uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, how much, you know, her work did to bring this into the fore. Well, a lot. You know, um, she had a weekly column in the San Francisco Bayview and she was a ardent and tireless activist and she was a skilled and devoted community organizer. As far as getting the message out there, I mean, I think she did as much as a person can do. If your newspaper, um, uh, if you're one newspaper town and the newspaper by and large feels that Bayview Hunters Point don't exist, then it's just as easy to <laughs> uh, to not notice when things happen there. And, you know, uh, to the credit of the newspaper of record, they've been covering it pretty heavy lately. Um, it took a while, though. Now, you, you, you said in your um, in your your article something to the effect of this is one of the, you know, one of the most severe um, environmental not catastrophes, but, you know, issues, I think, in it was, it's in, a fraud That's in our his, in our history. We've we've had worse environmental disasters and we've had more people killed and inconvenienced. But this is a fraud. What happened mm. here was major fraud and the fraud continues and the fraud is, you know, the people, people who are very high level San Francisco um, and, and state and federal uh, political power players are very deeply tied to this. You know, uh, that's that's Chinese money being raised by local companies to come into the EB-5 visa program to build the Hunter's Point pro, uh, project there. Right, right. You know, there are a lot of people with vested interests in making sure that this project happens. And, you know, uh, one would hope that the uh, condition of the soil beneath uh, the project is taken seriously. But there are oh so many reasons to to ignore it, especially considering it has a half life. And, you know, you know, my kids are grown, et cetera. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, this is, you know, but this was not surprising. Even the Navy doesn't know where anything is out there. It wasn't really a well organized site. Uh, I mean. Uh, Marie Harrison talked to my uh, former colleague, Chris Roberts, about uh, the general state of things there. Uh, the site that Gavin Newsom as mayor wanted the 49ers to build their stadium on was literally a toxic waste dump. Oh it was God. the toxic waste dump for the Hunters Point shipyard. Wow. You know, it is a super fun site. Uh, she herself with her own eyes saw fires that burned for days and they burned exotic colors like bright green which means that there's something weird burning down there yes and yeah. uh, and that's not a site to build a football stadium on right so right. you know uh, <laughs> say what you will about the team going to santa clara they they had ample reason to do so so um and and just to you know end on a lighter note um i'm i'm wondering you know i guess i guess what uh what the san francisco or what the uh the golden state warriors uh do affects all of us uh including the mission and uh they won by a very uh, narrow uh, lead yesterday, and I was, you know, struck by the fact that 
Um, you know, the minute um, Kevin Durant uh, leaves with uh, a supposed uh, right uh, calf strain, um, he, all of a sudden the Splash Brothers, they start splashing again. Uh, you know, um, certainly I would say uh, it's it's not like they forgot how to play basketball. Uh, you know, and Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. And that's not I don't think you can even argue about that. But the fact of the matter is they did win their first championship, you know, with uh, with Harrison Barnes on that position. Right. You know, and, and you know Harrison Barnes is a very good player, but he's not Kevin Durant. So, it's... so you know, I mean, they have they have an ample chance to win uh, game six without Kevin Durant. They have an ample chance to win game seven without Kevin Durant. And then hopefully he's well enough in the next series or who knows, you know, I mean, like who knows? Who knows what happens? And if they're saying it's not the Achilles, then 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 that's a huge sigh of relief. And the team, you know, the team, the team's in a pretty good spot here, right? So so uh, it would have been, they... been nice if they'd won one of those games in. Uh, would have been nice if they'd won those games in Houston, so he wouldn't have had to get injured in Game Six. Because, did uh, did they uh, say right. say definitively it wasn't an Achilles uh, tear? Yes. Okay. Definitively, it was not Achilles. Well, that's that's a that's a relief, but it you know it's almost assured that that uh, KD will not be playing uh in this uh in this well, upcoming game on friday we, we okay we just don't know but they can you know they can they they can win games without him certainly it helps to have him <laughs> right right but, you know they they there's still a lot of talent on this team um well joe i i thank you for joining us on on listen local today um you know uh, uh, to all you who are listening apologies for uh the uh you know earlier mishap um we are glad that you're uh, listening to our show and um uh, hope you tune in uh, two weeks from now. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm Julian Mark, and uh, and uh, you are listening to uh, our conversation with uh, Mission Local Managing Editor Joe Eskenazi. Thank you again.